I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Bigfoot America's Creek Devil. We have the pleasure of having Sharon Day with us today. Sharon, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, let's just start in, um, TW may join us in progress here, but uh, he may be on a call to TW's a police chief in Texas, so he's kind of busy sometimes. So Sharon, first of all, let's start off with your encounter. Tell us what happened. Um, first, I'll give you a little bit of background. I mean, I grew up in a um, infamous haunted Civil War hospital in Fairfax, Virginia. And so I had an interest already from what I had encountered with things that are unknown. And I remember as a child having seen the Patterson film. And all I gleaned from it in the theater was uh, there's a gorilla running around, and I assumed it was Washington State. Uh, so in the mid-80s, I'm living in California, and I hike in the Sierras with a lot of professional engineers and, and friends of my my then-husband. And so, uh, I, you know, I love nature, and I never really thought about Bigfoot again because, well, to me, they were just somewhere in the Northwest. But uh, we went hiking around, I think it was 1985, and we were hiking in the John Muir uh, woods, and... We were going from 8,000 feet up to 11,000 feet to get this. It was called Baboon Lake. <laughs> kind of ironic. That's a little ominous. Yeah, I know. I mean, it should have been foreshadowing. <laughs> I remember thinking, why did they name it that? There's no baboons, you know. So um, we're hiking, and uh, I'm an artist, so we, we all take a break to, to rest. I think we were about 8,500 feet, maybe 9,000 feet. Uh, it was May, and all the waterfalls were pouring down from the snow melting, and it was really beautiful. So I took my sketchbook over to a clearing, and I sat there and looked at a hillside across from us. And uh, there was a clearing there about 20 feet across, I'd say. Uh, I saw something dark in the corner of the, in the, kind of in the recess of the trees, and I thought, oh, there, you know, there's, is that an animal? What is it? And then it unfolded and stood up and I went, oh, it must be a camper or a hiker. Uh, then it, this is a very steep slope. And this being <laughs> walked across sideways across this deep slope, never looked at its feet, took maybe three strides. to. Hey, Sharon, it's Tom. I got a quick yeah. question for you. Yeah. So this thing, and, and I apologize, you probably said it and I just missed it. But mm -hmm. you were hiking on a trail, and this thing walked in front of you? Um, yeah, I was on one hillside, and it was up on another hillside. I'd say it was probably uh, maybe less than 100 yards. I'm not real good at measurements, but, okay. uh, you know, it was – I could definitely see its shape. I could see the hair. I could see the color of it when it was out in the light. But um, – I, could, I didn't really have a frame of reference for how big it was other than it was really muscular in the lower half. And, you know, in the years of doing research on Bigfoot, I kind of understand 
that they sort of lower their center of gravity because of their height and their weight, which overdevelops their hips and thighs. But uh, it, 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 it was human, but it wasn't human. And it conflicted with everything I thought I knew. It didn't know I was there. I did, you know, and I remember taking a step back. I almost wanted to go in the shadows because I felt like I'm not ashamed that I was seeing it, but um, or fearful necessarily. But I felt like I didn't want it to know I was there. I didn't want it to see me or turn its head or, you know, I just I spent the rest of that hike up to 11,000 feet and the days we spent up there in the uh, glacial lake. Um, I just spent it just, you know, in my mind thinking, I, I really hope bears are scared of that thing. And I hope that thing doesn't care that we're here. Um, I didn't know what its nature would be. It, it just, I was awake the whole time. Yeah. Well, that was kind of the other question I had was uh, not only the distance, but it would have been interesting if you could have gone over there where oh. it walked and see if there's you know, in California, I'm, I'm assuming summertime, it's going to be hot and dry there, but maybe just impressions in the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Impressions. That would have been interesting. Oh, oh, I, I, I absolutely agree on that one. And, you know, in retrospect, I would have done things differently. But in 80, 85, when there's no, you know, Internet talking about Bigfoot, I'm not studying Bigfoot. I don't know people that have seen a Bigfoot. I didn't know they were in California. Uh, there was just like so many things that I really didn't think to follow up on. I wasn't investigative at that time. I was just, holy crap, I hope it doesn't find our campsite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know, I, I realized it was probably a really good time to hit there because it was May. And like I said, the snow was melting, waterfalls were going down the hillsides. And I, I think it was a time of abundance, but I feel they probably, like they are here in Arizona up on the Mogollon Rim, they actually closed the passes up during the winter and they have the place to themselves. So I think they're a little more brave because they don't realize that we're spilling into the hills yet. Sure, sure. Well, sir, can yeah. I ask you a question? Oh, um, sure. Uh, did Were you able to get a, a, a view, a good view or even a view of the, the facial uh, structure? Um, this, this guy was in profile. I can tell you he didn't have breasts. That's about all I can tell you. I, it had to have been a dude. <laughs> um, uh -huh. But uh, I just, I, I spent so much focus on the thigh muscles um, and the butt muscles. In profile, they were extraordinary. It, and in hindsight, now that I've, you know, been in research so long, um, I realize it, it very much replicated Patty in, in the view of the side profile, except this guy was kind of slender uh, compared to her. But, you know, she obviously had birth children, and uh, so her proportions, were, and she's female, so she's different. And I guess coming out of the winter, maybe they're, you know, not as bulky, but it did not affect its, its thigh muscles and its upper arm muscles. Um, I, I guess I'd call the legs almost stovepipe. Uh, they just didn't have the form I'm used to seeing. So you didn't see any type of uh, facial prognathism like a muzzle or anything like that. It was all, it was mm -hmm. a flat, flat, ugh, I can't even talk, flat facial. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, I, I'm, I'm guessing there was hair blocking the face because I don't, I didn't really catch any of the face. It was looking toward where it was going. Like I said, it never looked down or anything. It never looked out. And in profile, um, it, the whole head area was very strange. The head was definitely pitched forward, it looked like. And 
Um, and I think, you know, it was probably draped with hair, but in my mind I thought, wow, it has no neck. Um, but I think it just had like maybe long hair. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to make a remark. Now, guys, uh, don't you be laughing at me now because isn't it strange that here we have another woman that focused on the, the buttocks and the uh, leg, upper leg, <laughs> thigh area. I don't say too late. You're already laughing. <laughs> I could pick him in a lineup, you know, if he's willing to stand in profile from the waist down. Yeah. We, 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 picked, up, well, we picked on Forrest for this a bit. <laughs> <laughs> They make fun of me because of uh, me noticing the, the the huge glutes on these things and the, the large buttocks. But that's a big and deal, though. I, I have a friend on here. Yeah, I'm glad you point that out. The first thing she noticed. Exactly. <laughs> And it's it's odd, you know, decades later, I ended up writing a paper on the locomotion of Sasquatch. And and what I gleaned from that actually came from the strangest source. I used to model and do pageants. And in order to do that wonderful glide walk where your head never bounces, you have to lower your center of gravity. You let your hips and your legs take over. And there, it's you, you literally kind of lower yourself a few inches, one foot directly in front of the other. And it, 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 it not only gives you a good balance, but your head doesn't bob. And one thing I did notice is this big dude was going across this clearing in just a few steps. Um, and, and it was a steep incline. I mean, I was billy goating all day on switchbacks looking at my feet. This guy didn't even look down. But one foot in front of the other, head was so steady. And that told me that given their weight uh, and, and I, I, my nickname is legs, and the reason it is is because I've always lowered my center of gravity, and I have very shapely legs, and and that is that is part of it for their weight, and especially a long, heavy body, you're going to have to lower that body down and let the hips and the the thighs do it and and make that work, and I think their hips are almost as flexible, if not as flexible, as our shoulders, so uh, it gives them a whole different kind of walk. Well, I. I watched a, uh, and I never watched the Kardashians, and I don't know why, but uh, one of those short videos came up on my uh, podcast, and I was just, <laughs> I was watching how the models were walking, and they walk exactly like a Sasquatch. Uh, yes, they with do. Their foot. <laughs> and I, I don't know why I'd never mentioned that before, but I was like, I was like going, oh my yeah. God. They walk just like a Sasquatch. They're, they've got a compliant gait. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. You know what it is. You know, if they if they had or been models, they they, they would have <laughs> they would have got they would have beat me on the go sees. I had a killer walk on the runway, but man, not as smooth as they do. You know what it is. Uh, yeah. the Sasquatches are practicing to be models. <laughs> okay, I want to see him do that in those four-inch heels. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and do they even make shoes that big? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, they do. They do because there's a, there's a whole new host of people that are of the male persuasion becoming female that need big shoes. It's a big market now. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally a big market. <laughs> hey Sharon, yes. Could you tell or guesstimate how tall it was by chance? Uh, I didn't really have a frame of reference there. The clearing had, um, it had some bushes under the trees, but it was mostly just the very, very tall trees there. And uh, there wasn't anything else to compare it with other than 
it was magnificently big to me. And I think a lot of that had to do with the long body and the, and the muscular legs. And once you account for all that, it's, it's, it's pretty shocking. Uh, when I started doing research, I went back and looked at the Patterson film and it, it dawned on me that from uh, Patty's crotch to the ground, that's a third of her height. Uh, you and I, I mean, I'm 68 inches and my legs are 31 in that measurement. So if I, you know, if I extrapolate that a third of my legs, uh, the height of my legs would be a third of my body or my total height, um, you know, I'd be what, 93 inches. Um, so they're, they're different in a lot of ways. And so when we look at their footprints too, I had to kind of wonder, we can't extrapolate their foot size with our foot size because we're very we're built quite differently we're built they're built like neanderthals if neanderthals could have gotten to eight feet this is what they would be like exactly the same proportions so i look at a neanderthal's foot they were like five five foot four tall and and it had a 10 inch foot they had a very large foot for their height so i use that same formula basically to extrapolate what a big foot foot to height would be Forrest, what do you think? What about Neanderthal? Yeah, the comparison. Uh, Well, I can't say as I've ever made a comparison of Neanderthal feet, but after that comment, (laughs) I'm going to have to. I'm going to go in there and uh, I'm going to do some inquiry. Uh, I don't. I cannot believe that their feet would be extraordinarily large for their body size, but uh, I will say this: that most primates. Um, and we've not really discussed this before, and I don't know why I hadn't ever brought it up, but if you look at most primates, their feet are extraordinarily uh, large and longer than uh, in comparison to their um, body size. And, of course, that's due to the fact that they actually are built differently. They're built more like a hand rather than uh, a foot like ours, a static foot like themselves. And so they have... uh, that uh, they need that extra length for gripping and climbing. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point too. Um, when you look at the proportions of these guys, and I thought of it in the setting in which I saw this guy uh, up high up in the Sierras, uh, th- they appear by their proportions to be built literally to be climbers, but not tree climbers, mountain climbers. They're meant to hike up, literally lob their way up a mountain. And in order to do that, you'd have to have long, strong arms, a very long lower body. Um, just everything about them says to me, these guys were acclimated for mountainous terrain. And when we, and once again, Neanderthal had the same proportions and muscularity, just a, a, not as much height. Um, and another thing about Neanderthal is that they had very large eyes. And in looking at that, the uh, scientists have come up with the reason they had larger eyes was they lived in northern climates and high elevations where there was less light. And this also could explain some of the um, abilities of Bigfoot to have eye glow, that they come out at night, they seem to see better at night, you shine a light on them and it hurts them more than it would hurt us. Um, it, obviously, they the two of these guys have very similar traits, and then that had me Actually, when I was really deep in research with a, a large research group, they brought me in for language and psychic skills. They wanted to know, uh, do they have language? How does it work? And uh, do they have psychic skills? And then I decided, 
as uh, Bigfoot became too popular and people were talking about wanting to shoot one, I thought, well, all I have to do, I can't prove Bigfoot. I can't bring one and haul it up to you. But what if I say it's extremely feasible? Bigfoot had to have an ancestry. They had to come from somewhere. Where did they come from? So I started looking around America and I found giant skeletons uh, had been unearthed. And I thought, okay, well, there's a giant skeleton here and there's a giant person here. What are the chances? They must be somehow related. So then I started looking at where you find Bigfoot uh, around the world. And as I did that, I found one commonality between all the Bigfoot types and an actual earlier man, the Denisovans. Denisovans were very large. Everywhere that there's Denisovan DNA in the population, there's a Bigfoot type of creature. The Aborigines have Denisovan DNA and they have Yowie. The Alma and the Almastis of Russia and, and Siberia, uh, the Yeti, uh, even Bigfoot in Peru and the Inuit Indians, there is Denisovan's DNA. So I find it really coincidental that we have people that might have mated with an ancient man long ago, and now we have some sort of a ancient man that looks a lot like them. But it gets more exciting when you get down into Denisovan's DNA. And the Inuit Indians, they found that the Denisovan DNA actually allowed them to be able to acclimate to any climate. They can literally live anywhere they want. When they looked at the Sherpa who have Denisovan's DNA, they found out that they had thinner blood for high elevation and that this is really exciting. They can carry 100% of their own weight on them and only use 50% of their metabolism. If you and I tried to carry our own weight, we would use, we would exert our, our metabolism, which tells me that they also don't need as much fuel as we would in order to, to do something, but they're much, much stronger. So as we start to understand a little more about Denisovan's DNA, it's it's beginning to line up with things. Uh, why are Aborigines hairy? Why do they grow beards? Why do they grow body hair? Uh, there's just little traits that may have been left behind, and, and those could be clues. Okay, where are you getting the 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 uh, information on your uh, Denisovans? Uh, you can find that pretty much. There's a lot of scientific papers that have been put out about the Denisovans and the DNA. They've studied the Sherpa. They studied the Inuits. They're starting to learn a lot more about the characteristics of, of them. And then the finds that they've made, uh, the molars on the child that they had found were extraordinarily large. They've made an uh, extrapolation that this was a, a large, a large being. Uh, it, it, it's interesting that wherever we overpopulated, we drove possibly this, this ancient man into the hills. And then given the isolations over, you know, 50,000 years or so, uh, we have yetis that seem a little different than a yaoi, and a yaoi seems a little different than a Bigfoot. And, and it, it makes almost races within the Denisovans. If, if, this is, if my, my concept is right, I find there's just too many coincidences for it to, to not line up. Yeah, there are no intact skeletons of uh, Denisovans yeah. at all. The, there are not. They, we only have parts of them, and we have some of the things that they created. They were very, very much ahead of us, um, and ahead of the Neanderthal as well. Uh, but at some point, they had to have gone missing. And uh, I think, you know, when you if you're looking at suspects in a crime, you say, you know, were they in that place? You know, it, have they left evidence? Is there DNA? 
Uh, these are the kinds of things that we have to kind of look at. And I, you know, I, I see no other possible ancestry for a Bigfoot and they did have to come from somewhere. Uh, you know, I know some people say they came from UFOs, uh, that they were some kind of a worker race that dug up gold for aliens. I don't know. Uh, it, it, that's a really extraordinary, but you know, I go by Occam's razor, you know, what, what seems the most logical is probably the right, the right way to go. Sharon, you talked about, or you messaged me about working with Don Monroe. Would you like to talk about that? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Don Monroe is quite the researcher. He's a Montana mountain man in some ways, but uh, he's in his latter 80s, I believe now, but he still is constantly on the road. Uh, he chases after things all over the world. He's, he's spent time in China, Australia, and boy, a whole host of other countries, um, and America mostly has been his focus, but uh, he he's a different kind of researcher. He he doesn't watch TV. He doesn't. Even, I don't think he even owns a TV. He doesn't concern himself with what other researchers are doing, which I really appreciate because I I don't study other researchers. They're they're not my subject. Um, so uh, he he goes off on his own. There were two hands that also were in the mud on the edge of the foot. So you have two complete hands and a foot together. Um, and, and I've spent some time gathering the, the mud and the hairs and things from within the cast because he never cleaned it up. And, uh, and so I've stored those away for hoping to get some, some maybe a, some DNA look at it. The hairs do look like they, they fit what, what I would expect to find in a Bigfoot. But it was just amazing to see we don't often get hands as well. And since the hands were with the footprint, I have to wonder if this you know, this Bigfoot had walked by and stepped on the handprints that were already in the mud, or if, you know, they had climbed out of the swamp as it appeared and then started to walk away and walked over their own handprint. I, I don't know, but they look like they would go together. Anybody have any input? Sharon, I have a question for you about the castings. Mm-hmm. The uh, one that's broken, looks like it's broken half. Oh, yeah. Is there by chance a third piece or another piece missing from that? Um, it, when I got it, it just had the tape. It didn't have uh, the missing piece. Uh, what he did relate to me, that came from a cave in Montana. And it's one he's been studying for uh, two decades when he first found it, what he what he discovered was some prints. So he started following the prints and he found an area and it was January and there was an area in the ground somebody had been digging toward getting water, basically. And he said they had put their right hand down and they had taken their left hand and dug a hole and water had seeped in through that hole. And so he figured they were trying to get something to drink. Well, he looked over and saw a pigeon that had been torn open and eaten. And he thought, he looked around, he's like, well, where did this pigeon come from? So he kept poking around and he came up a hillside and there was an opening to a cave that was completely obliterated by bushes and trees. So he, he climbed down the boulders into this cave and he discovered pigeons were uh, nesting in the opening of the cave area. And it wasn't something you could see from any angle. It was on a huge piece of private land uh, out in the middle of just nowhere. Obviously, no one had been in there. Uh, it looked quite uh, untouched except the path down to 
the inside of the cave where there was a very old fire and a lot of old, he said, look like old, old bones. Um, so he poked around the cave some and he decided, I'm coming back. This cave is worth watching. So he brought back a friend. And both of them went down inside this cave. And uh, when they got down there, they found that footprint. And they, and he, he decided, oh, I have to cast this. This is incredible. And so his friend stayed there in the cave while he went back, got in the car, went 30 miles away, got the cast material, came back. Um, and while the friend was in the cave, he had left the friend with a light that um, it was like a little blinking safety light with like red and blue lights that blink and stuff. And the friend had um, his gun at his side and it was, he was an older man. He was, he was retired. And so this man's sitting there on the rock. And uh, by the time Don got back, the, the guy was trembling. He was shaking like a leaf and Don got him outside and he's, he said, you know, what's, what's the deal? And the guy said, I'm not going back in there. I'll never go back in there. I never want to see those red devil eyes again. So Don calmed him down and he said, you know, what, 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 what was going on in there? What, what did you see? He said, soon after you left, something stepped out and stood next to me. He said, this thing was seven feet tall. And he said, in his words, no hairier than an Italian. Um, and then he had these crazy eyes that glowed red and he had red hair. And that's really all he could say, except he had a showdown with this thing. He sat there and three or four feet away, this thing was standing there watching him the whole time, just staring at him. And he said, you know, I didn't know if it could understand me. I, you know, he said it had a very, the description of the face was very caveman like uh, prominent brow. Um, you know, sort of a slopey forehead, um, uh, wide nose, big lips. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, I told him, I said, look, I was in the war. I, you know, I, I've got a gun and it, it just didn't phase this. It didn't seem to understand him, but uh, it had left but before Don had come back. And so Don kept repeatedly over the years trying to get this guy to go back to the cave. And he said, I will not never see, I'd never want to look at that again, never want to experience that. And um, so he started studying the cave after he got that print because he, and I've, I've got dozens of handprints from that cave. There was children's hands in that cave. There were women's hands in that cave. There was a hand that had something wrapped around it as if they had bandaged it with fabric. There was an area of the cave where there was a row of rocks deep in the cave and on the opposite side of those rocks was uh, what looked like a bedding area where they had been bedding side by side. And he had gotten a, a, a butt print from that cave. It wasn't just the butt. It was also the, guy, the junk on the guy. <laughs> it was that whole part of the body. Uh, beautiful cast of that. Um, the hand casts were amazing. He said the best he could figure from all the different prints that he gathered, there might have been as many as 16 individuals living in there. And that row of rocks that they slept on the other side of was almost like it wasn't necessarily a barrier, but a way maybe in the dark to find the bedding area. You know, just once you feel the rocks, you go across it. Um, but he's, he studied that for a lot of years. He just gave me VHS tapes from studies that he, ha he brought others in to do there. And uh, in one of the tapes, he didn't have a TV to replay it on. He didn't realize, but... There's glowing eyes when he's talking and they're in the background and no one even noticed these eyes glowing. So 
my goal now is to transfer these VHS and get them digitally um, uploaded and start putting all this, all the evidence together into a documentary that can maybe educate people because he does long-term studies in a lot of caves with quote unquote wild people living in them. I think some might be actually a native tribe that went to the mountains, but um, I want to be sure none of that information is lost. It needs to be out there in the public. People need to see it. Uh, there's other people that may be experiencing these things and, and they need to see how he handled it. Uh, there's a respectful way to study without being intrusive. Good point. Sharon, we're running out of time. Okay. Um, do you have information? Well, contact in... Oh, go ahead, huh? Forrest. Can I say something? Sure. Well, I'm going to, well, Sharon, I don't, uh, I, and this is not being introduced in a rude fashion. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on some of your denosity. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. conclusion because um, I um, <laughs> I think that most of these genomes that we have that you're making comparisons to Inuits and such and I did a paper <laughs> too many years ago long before they'd even sequenced the genome on Neanderthals and the Denosovans weren't even known at the time mm, on the Marapuchi yeah. Indians of the Peruvian Altiplano region and the Andes um, your Inuits and and those particular type of people, like the Marapuche and Indians, uh, have a cold weather adaptation, and we always have uh, traced that back to the Neanderthal uh, adaptations. Um, mm -hmm. The Denisovians, the, um, there I go again, adding that E I A N on the end of it. That's my Texan thing. Uh, anyway, uh, the Denisovans have uh, have exhibited that cold weather adaptation, but the sequencing uh, and comparison to human, present human populations, uh, I don't think can, can conclusively be made that they, that they exist in the human populations. In fact, there have been very, uh, uh, quite a few anthropologists that have come up and said that there is another archaic uh, yes. Yes. human yeah. population out there that mm -hmm. exhibits uh, far more uh, uh, effect on present-day human populations than either even the Neanderthal and uh, possibly the Denisovans. Um, correct, so correct. Yes, that, that gonna, ghost, gonna, the ghost DNA is another possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to respectfully disagree with some of the conclusions that you came up with oh, there. So. Yes. <laughs> Please do. Please do, because honestly, we cannot make this research work if people don't own the avenue that they see. I, now, I know some people that are very big ne ne Nephilim followers or believers, and it bothers me a little bit when people enter this thinking they already know what it is, and then they twist the evidence to prove what they think it is and to support their idea. And I think that the evidence really should make you come to a conclusion. So far with the knowledge that we do have and the scientific papers on Denisovans and the DNA they have uncovered in humans, this is, and, and that they were large. That's all, that's all I can go with. So far, it's my number one suspect, but I'm not ruling out that there might have been other possibilities. And if you can research those, I'm so happy because now we can bring it all to the table and it'll make sense. Uh, we can't yeah. all chase Denisovans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously not. But, yeah. Uh, there's right. so, few, so few sites and three molars and a mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
a finger, a finger, partial finger. Don't uh, I don't think you can make too many uh, major determinations on size and, and yeah. effect. On a, and uh, I know Ch- I know China has uncovered. Food. Yeah, China uncovered some Denisovan. I think parts fragments of skull or something. But uh, I don't know how for, I don't know how forthcoming they'll ever be. Uh, they won't even admit to pyramids. So you know. Yeah. They yeah. have, yes, and they have uh, uh, sites in, in China that uh, are very interesting. And, of course, the, uh, with the, the government the way it is in China, you're not going to get a whole lot of... They exactly. They want to own everything and not release the information. And I know mm-hmm. that there is a, another skull that actually was presented to a Chinese person. You may know which I'm referring to. And this was during uh, the uh, the... Chinese and Japanese, and you know when the Japanese were invading China, oh, and the yeah. gentleman had actually, had actually had buried this skull. It had been presented to him by a, a, a knowledgeable teacher in the area, and that he thought it looked and appeared to be an archaic, uh, you know, human of some sort. And so this uh, gentleman, also being a teacher, he buried it in a safe place, and his family. On his deathbed, he had actually uh, made uh, comments to his family, and the family actually went and retrieved it, which it was in, still in the same place that it was. And, and now that they're saying that they're, that what uh, it may have actually have been, and not 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 a Neanderthal, not a Denisovan, and not mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it represents another type of archaic human. So, but you know, it's it's China, so we're not gonna. Right. We're not going to get a whole lot of info. Exactly. I know know off the coast of Taiwan, they found a jaw underwater, and it was an enormous jaw, and it was yet another man. They haven't yet to understand it all. So something was happening in Asia. (laughs) Well, and and Africa, too. I mean, we have, have, uh, you know, giants, uh, what we would call giants is the relationship. Oh, Heidelbergensis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they were in their archaic forms. They were uh, quite large, so and yeah. uh, tall, even in comparison to uh, present-day human populations. So, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. they existed. They existed. <laughs> well, great discussion, guys. Um, Sharon, anything final? You want to give out your contact information? Oh, sure. Uh, you can find everything about me on ghosthuntingtheories.com. And that includes my contacts. Um, I'm also ghosthuntingtheories at gmail.com. Um, you, can, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube and <laughs> Facebook. Um, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm not hard to find. So you're just um, all over there. <laughs> I am, yeah. And I, I mean, even though I'm continuing my research, now I get to broaden it a little bit because I'm going to be in, in Texas filming. A, I'm acting in a Western, uh, uh, going to the theaters. And uh, I'm going to have to spend some time in the hill country. So I'm going to be investigating Bigfoot there, too. Very cool. Anybody else have yeah. any comments or questions? Or? What yeah, was that we're first? in the hill country. We're uh, in the hill country. Oh, oh where? <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say because I am under NDA with the uh, studio. But uh, I'd say, you know, central, southern, uh, not maybe 90 miles from San Antonio, west of it. Ooh. Well, I live in the Texas Hill Country, so that's why I was asking. Oh, okay. You know, you know what? Um, you know, if you want to contact me on the side, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I might tell you the area. Uh, that's okay. about all I can give. Yeah. And I live about 90 miles from San Antonio, north, due north of them. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, I'll be due west. Yeah. All right. Anybody else have any comments or questions? 
Well, I got a comment. I just want to say very interesting <laughs> and uh, good discussion. So uh, thank you, Sharon. Very, uh, very interesting. Well, Appreciate thank you. It. I really enjoyed it. I love to be able to, I love having a bunch of people on here because everybody has a whole different, you know, focus. It's, it's great. Well, thanks, Sharon. We'll have to have you on the campfire talk, too. That's where we just kind of sit around and everything is just sort of informal. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, stop by next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open now.